Hi, and welcome back to the Forget the Wine podcast, Reclaiming the Book Club. Remember when book clubs were actually about books? Madeline and I were tired of the book club being portrayed as a thinly veiled ladies wine night in popular culture, so we decided to fight this bastardization ourselves. Join us as we examine and interpret modern novels. And okay, if you want to drink a glass of wine while you listen, we won't judge you. Well, we won't audibly judge you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Forget the Wine. I'm Madeline, and I'm actually coming to you from Minnesota. For the first time ever, Laura and I are in the same room um, as each other while recording this podcast. Woo! Yeah, it's very weird to be sitting beside you, so we'll see if the <laughs> dynamic is different today. Yes, we are also sharing a microphone, so things are getting a little cozy, which is important because it's very cold here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and today we're going to be discussing Conversations with Friends, which is the debut novel from Sally Rooney, and I'll start with a quick synopsis. Conversations with Friends is a sharply intelligent novel about two college students and the strange, unexpected connection they forge with a married couple. Frances, our narrator, is a 21-year-old aspiring writer. She's devoted to her beautiful and self-possessed best friend, Bobby. Bobby and Frances used to be lovers, but now they're just friends, and they're focused on the spoken word poetry they perform together. When older journalist Melissa spots their potential, Frances is impressed by the older woman's sophisticated home and tall, handsome husband. The husband, Nick, is a bored actor who never quite lived up to his potential. Nick and Frances's flirtation gives way to a strange intimacy that neither of them expect, and as Frances tries to keep her life in check, her relationships increasingly resist her control with Nick, with her difficult father, and even with Bobby. So as you can tell from that synopsis, it's a very character-driven book. Um, As you might expect from the title, Conversations with Friends, it is very dialogue-heavy. So how did you connect with the characters here? The the two um, first main characters we're introduced to are Frances, who is our first-person narrator, and Bobby, who is her now her best friend, ex-lover, and I believe they were in a relationship in high school. I immediately connected with Frances because I guess I saw a lot of myself in her, as we tend to do with, with many characters in literature. She's obsessed with what will make her seem like a good writer, good person. So she's constantly thinking about her projection. She's constantly analyzing the people around her and their expressions. And and she's also really worried about coming across as too pretentious and too aloof. And we see this sort of constant analysis um, throughout the novel in her narration. And as we see later on, in fact, she puts a lot of pressure on the people around her to live up to this sort of golden light that she sees them in. Uh, Bobby is her really much, as Laura writes in her notes, much cooler friend. So she, they used to have a relationship, and now they're friends, and they perform together. And she has this huge personality. She's beautiful, and Frances is constantly remarking on how beautiful and dazzling Bobby is. Um, So yeah, I I guess I was really intrigued by Frances and I was intrigued by her friendship with Bobby. 
And because uh, as we've noticed with a few of our other readings, female friendship has become a greater theme in literature over the past couple of years. So I was really curious to see what direction Sally Rooney would take their friendship. Yeah, I think it's interesting. This is the first episode we're recording together. Maybe it'll come to blows because I had a much different perspective on Francis than you did. For me, Frances was not so concerned about how the people in her life perceived her or the emotions that she brought out in them, but was very obsessed with being intellectual and cool, but not to anyone specifically, just to the world in general. And I found her incredibly tedious to spend time with. I think that was kind of the crux of of the novel, is, is whether you enjoyed that depiction or not. Because I think it was a very accurate depiction of like how a 21-year-old who thinks she knows everything in the world and is like a detached, cool girl. And it's very well-written, um, that character. But it's just whether you find that to be tiresome or not. So as we alluded to in the synopsis, Francis does get engaged in an affair with Nick, who is kind of this failed actor and is married to Melissa, an older journalist. And she kind of tortures him by pretending that she doesn't care about him emotionally at all, when really she's like deeply obsessed with him and in love with him. And so she'll say things like, and this is a quote, I just don't have feelings concerning whether you fuck your wife or not. It's not an emotive topic for me. And I think we all know, like, girls who spoke this way when they were 21, so I do think it's an accurate depiction of a girl who's trying to be above it all and too cool. But my issue, I guess, was that there wasn't any evolution in Frances's character and that she kind of stayed on this note throughout the book. Did you see growth in her? Yeah, I noticed you brought that up in our questions, and I think that is a really good one. I think for me, I read this as a little bit of a coming-of-age story in regards to Frances, because I do think she, even though her tone doesn't necessarily shift, which is probably why it doesn't seem like she has any growth, she is sort of learning about herself and learning about the world around her by experiencing it through her relationship with Nick, through her relationship with Bobby. And also, um, I thought it was the relationship between her and Melissa was was really interesting to me because Frances is sort of, she has this idea that as a mistress or as the other woman, she is supposed to hate Melissa. And you can kind of see that in some of her writing. She's supposed to see her as romantic competition. She says, uh, let me see, I have a quote here. Um, I hadn't really wanted to feel sympathetic to Melissa, and now I felt her moving outside of my frame of sympathy entirely, as if she belonged to a different story with different characters. And then she also says, I didn't even know if I really hated her, but the world's words felt and sounded right, like the lyrics to a song I had just remembered. So I, um, I guess... We see Frances learning a little bit more about herself as she goes through these really tumultuous relationships. And she does have a sort of breakdown partway through. She's not taking care of her health as well, um, which becomes like a really strong theme, like about three quarters of the way through the book. 
So I can see how there isn't necessarily any like aha moments, revelations in Frances's development as a character, but I don't think it's fair to say that she didn't grow or change completely. I guess that's true. I think part of what made her hard to relate to, and maybe this is because I am not like a writerly person, and it comes up in this quote, is she's always envisioning herself as a character in a larger story happening around her. So she's like, how do I feel about taking on the role of the mistress? And that is just never a way that I have looked at my own life, is like (laughs) myself as the protagonist and people like swirling around me as a cast of supportive characters and framing her real relationships that way even with like her alcoholic father her friendship with Bobby everyone she's so much more concerned with perception than the actual like connection she's making with these people she's so much more concerned with what it says about her as a main character that made her tough for me to stomach and and like as a character and it actually made me feel a a lot more sympathy for kind of like the older wiser but also sadder and more pathetic characters of Melissa and Nick who whose marriage is kind of dissolving but they seemed more self-aware to me and and deserving of sympathy and can we just also note that Melissa is actually in her 30s which is disturbing to me as a 28 year old woman that like she is the older woman in this scenario because I feel like someone in their 30s still has so much to learn and experience and in this depiction she's characterized as like a jaded older woman so just wanted to point that out as well but yeah I can see too like I, I did really sympathize with Melissa, and I think that's part of the reason for me, like I interpreted her clash with Francis. Francis wasn't jealous of Melissa because of her, like her romantic feelings for Nick. She was jealous of Melissa because of her professional standing in the world. And she tried to, but she didn't want to admit that to herself. Like she framed it as this sort of like mistress role, when in reality she I really read it as she was very jealous of Melissa because she had, she was experienced and she did have these like really important things beside behind her, like publishing a novel. And so that, I thought that relationship, I thought that was kind of a way that Frances was deluding herself a little bit. Like she has this one quote where she said about Melissa, I didn't have the option not to take her seriously because she had published a book, which proved that a lot of other people took her seriously, even if I didn't. So there's a lot right there. And that's what I love about Rooney's writing is she's able to capture so much of her characters. And there's a lot of like self-delusion in this book with all of the characters, but she's able to capture so much with such simplistic phrasing she doesn't spend a lot of time with imagery or um, elaboration she really cuts right to the quick of things and I think that's one thing we can talk about her writing more but after we get through some of the themes but that's one thing that really struck both of us I think yeah absolutely it's like deeply character driven and the characters are absolutely like drawn with laser precision you know exactly who these people are and like there's a quote from the New Yorker that really 
cuts to who Francis is quite nicely. And they say, it's with fierce clarity with which Rooney examines the self-delusion that so often festers alongside presumed Mm self-knowledge, which I think is is great. It's like that stage when you're 21 and you feel like you know so much more than you've ever known and you don't know yet that that's still not very much. Like there's just not the kind of like humility of being beaten down by life that the older, as you say, they're still pretty young characters of of Nick and Melissa have in this book. But uh, yeah, I don't take any issue with how accurately those characters are drawn. I just don't think this book has very much to say about what that means. Like I was really left with a sense of, so what here? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see... I can definitely understand that. I'm trying to think of like why I felt like I got something out of this book. And I think it was because even though Francis has this veil of intellectualism, this veil of superiority and aloofness, she's obviously also really not confident in herself and she's really self-conscious. So she has this hard shell and I think this shell is also because there is not a lot of she doesn't have a lot of emotion in her inner voice as well. She speaks very without emotion, even when we're inside her head. So I don't know. I think for me, like she sort of realizes after her illness and just she gets so emotionally invested in Nick and and gets she reaches this point of total where she feels totally destroyed. And she says, that night it was clear to me for the first time how badly I'd underestimated my vulnerability. And so I think throughout the novel, we get these clues about these little clues about how really weak she is, but she's been so consumed in this creating this shell around her, the shell of intellectualism and being a writer and being superior. And that superiority comes by constantly comparing herself to others. So she does, I think she does have a point where she realizes that she can rationalize things as much as she wants, but like we, she can't control her emotions and she can't stop herself from being a person who feels things. And that really, I think that's why, even though Frances isn't a very likable character, <laughs> that's why I, I really didn't hate her. Yeah, that's <laughs> very fair. Let's talk a little bit about her relationship with Nick, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And how well-drawn you thought that was or how much you connected with it. Basically, obviously, Nick is married. He kind of feels like he could have really had success as an actor. He was on a couple sitcoms and chick flicks, um, but he just never really got there. And there's this real... That's, I think, central to his character is this sense of unfulfilled potential. And I would say Frances seduces him to some extent. Like, I think she kind of sets her sights and, and goes after it. And then really for, what was, it, was it two years is the course of the story, I think? They kind of have yeah. a back and forth relationship mm-hmm. where they are in an, in an affair with each other. And then eventually we come to find out that after all this hiding that they've done, all this painstaking trouble that they've gone to to keep the relationship under wraps. Melissa knows about the relationship and kind of agrees to share Nick to Francis as a mistress so long as she can stay as part of his life. 
and this is kind of where the waters of the book get murky for me and and I'm not sure what Rooney was trying to say with the way that this relationship comes together is when they are together and falls apart was there anything that you think is like good or endearing about this relationship like were you rooting for them because I was not yeah I think so I definitely agree with your with you saying that it seemed like she was seducing Nick. But I don't know if it was it wasn't necess- it was a very passive seduction. I think basically she realized that she could use her youth and inexperience with the world and she knew how appealing that was yes. to an older man. And she was really like really aware of this, which I thought was very interesting because she sort of used that to her advantage whereas often in, in these stories we see these young females being taken advantage of by like an older older affair, older man in an affair. So I was really I was intrigued by that and I think that's more of maybe a millennial spin on things. So these young women who have been playing with this idea of empowerment, is it empowering to have sex with a married man or is it degrading? And a lot of, I think, millennial women are still <laughs> questioning this because there have been so many waves of feminism at this point. But but in the case of Nick and Francis, I... I guess I wasn't really rooting for them in the fact that it seemed like it was going to end badly no matter what happened because of the circumstances under which it began. It just seemed like it wasn't necessarily that I was rooting against them, but I, you can just tell it's not going to end well. And he, because he's so emotionally invested and he's obviously such a vulnerable character and because she has this yeah the self-deception that we talked about she really is not the like totally unbreakable woman that she thinks it's possible to be so I thought that she was saying a lot with the relationship but I don't know I don't know if she was necessarily commentating on adultery or not though yeah, I don't think so. I, I I think you hit the nail on the head when you use the word power and empowerment. And I think that the relationship between the two, Francis and Nick, so much more about an exchange of power and about Francis exploring power she holds over men than it was about love or <laughs> fulfillment or mutual respect or anything like that. Like, by no means is this a romance book even though relationships romantic relationships are really at the center of the story there's a lot of game playing there's a lot of nick kind of saying i don't understand what you want i don't understand what i can give you i don't understand why you're not being direct with me and there's a lot of francis getting off on that and getting Mm -hmm. off on her her ability to really wrench his emotions around so it seemed unhealthy, but also <laughs> seemed, I guess, accurately written, which is all like, I'm going to just keep coming back to that at this book. It's like, yep, it was well written. I just didn't like spending time with it. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, I thought also their explorations in their relationship was coming back to this idea that we can't rationalize our emotions and we can't stop ourselves from feeling things like there were a couple of quotes that really stuck out to me when she's having, I think this is a, like when they start having a online relationship, like emailing each other. And she says, 
I thought this was the worst misery I had experienced in my life, but it was also a very shallow misery, which at any time could have been relieved completely by a word from him and transformed into idiotic happiness. So I think a lot of women of our generation can relate incredibly to this, just the the power that an online message has to transform our entire (laughs) view of a relationship. And, and she knows how, she seems to be saying how trite it is with that statement, but she can't control how she feels about it. And she's always trying to rationalize her feelings. Like she, when she has her terrible anxiety, she tries to sell, tell herself, think about things logically. Anxiety is just a chemical phenomenon producing bad feelings. Feelings are just feelings. They have no material reality. So I really liked those themes in the book. With, with the concept of the fact that even you, you can intellectualize as much as you want, especially when it comes to love and relationships, but there's some human element there, that some emotive element that we cannot ever get past or free ourselves from. Yeah, and I think we've kind of danced around it and touched on it a couple times with this being a very millennial perspective on relationships, but um, the author, Sally Rooney, was like 26 when she wrote this and 27 when it was published, and this is the first time that I've really read a piece of literary fiction from someone younger than me, Um, and it it was kind of shook me a little bit, but I, I was just curious how you thought it affected the story and the characters. I I think maybe that's why both you and I felt that the characters were drawn so realistically because even though she's writing from a different country, um, it's set in Ireland. In Dublin. Dublin. That there's a lot of commonality there and that the girls really have this perspective I think of trying to be consciously feminist and consciously progressive, but feeling pulled back by more traditional emotions that they feel deeply rooted in her in themselves. Like Frances talks a lot about how she almost resents her attraction to Nick because he's so traditionally good looking and he's like a jock and all American looking. And she talks a lot about how it, she doesn't want to be a cliche by being having an affair. So I just thought that that was pretty unique is this like very conscious perspective on wanting to be progressive and wanting to kind of break down barriers, but also feeling um, like you're existing within them. Yeah, I think I actually had a heart attack when I saw what year this author was born. <laughs> but I do think that she... She does a really good job of capturing the self-obsession that we have in our generation. Like we we spend a lot of time obsessing over ourselves, but not necessarily in a narcissistic way or an indulgent way, but we're constantly comparing our lives to the lives of others. And that's just a side effect of social media. And it's something that, of course, people have done all through history, but it's just so in your face consuming in, in the millennial generation and, and the one below us. And so I think she did, I think that really is reflected in this novel, this kind of self-obsession. And the same thing we can see it in Bobby too, this kind of idea of having to project the certain image to the world. It seems like they're very consumed with this projection and this 
these roles that they should either they're either fighting against or living within Mm -hmm. whereas melissa and nick are just kind of living like Mm -hmm. they're just kind of they are they they have issues and they have professional lives but they're just sort of existing without this constant critique in their head going on so i thought that i thought she did a really good job sort of capturing that youth millennial I don't know what you want to call it. It, Divide. divide, Yeah, absolutely. And we touched on Bobby a little bit. We haven't talked about her deeply, um, but I think she is supposed to play a big role in the book. Honestly, she didn't have a great impact on me as the character. But that was one of the questions I had, was whether you thought the central relationship of of the book was really the friendship between Francis and Bobby or the affair between Francis and Nick Um, because we do spend a great deal of time talking about how Bobby is very protective of Francis how when they were in a relationship it was like felt right they could just watch movies together Bobby still sleeps over like it kind of did feel like if it was a more traditional narrative if this was like a pop lit romance book it would be like Bobby was there all along and she was the soulmate that you were meant for but I don't think it necessarily plays out that way so how did you feel about Bobby as a character did you connect to her I guess I feel like we I feel like I was so consumed by Frances's voice and her lens of how she sees Bobby that I never was really given a chance to either connect with or dislike Bobby because mm. we're literally always seeing her in this very glorified, can I say Instagram filter? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it just seems like um, the way that Frances um, describes Bobby, she's constantly talking about how beautiful and effortless she is. She's always shining. And when I was reading it, I knew they had been in a romantic relationship, but now that they were friends, and I was reading it as kind of this this little bit of jealousy that and competitiveness that comes into a female friendship at times where when two women are so inseparably close and their lives are so closely intertwined there does there is this sort of manifestation of competitiveness or jealousy and I think that is something that m- cannot necessarily be controlled and the constructs in which we live it's just it's really hard to fight against but but then in the end, it's revealed that, you know, Francis, I read it as Francis had been just pining after Bobby the entire time, but not letting herself realize it because she was so hurt by their breakup and she was still so in love with her. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, she's bi. Like, I totally forgot about that. I was reading it as like a very straight friendship lens. And that's, I think, my own baggage as a reader like I just it didn't occur to me to kind of come back to their initial romantic relationship but with that realization I think I could go back and reread it and see a lot more within their friendship um, that I didn't see before but yeah I just kind of felt like there was a barrier between us as the readers and and Bobby and how she truly was I did too and I agree with you I think we are supposed to have that realization at the end of the book like oh it was Bobby the whole time that she's been in love with I think where it doesn't connect for me is it's been made really clear the whole book that they're a really toxic pair Mm -hmm. and I think because both of them are so self-obsessed 
and they need the other one to take on a very specific role to affirm the way that they see themselves. Bobby needs Francis to be the more plain, more stay-at-home, more docile part of a relationship. And that's why she really kind of gets nasty when Francis breaks out and engages in an affair and it's kind of a little bit more wild. And likewise, I think Bobby has really helped Francis break out of her shell, like probably explore her sexuality when they were initially in a relationship, although that's really not delved into too much. Honestly, their gender is kind of incidental. And I think the fact that they both have like gender neutral names, Francis and Bobby, is an intentional choice by the author as well, just to kind of like tamp down the role of gender as much as as possible here so that's that confused me that at the end of the story it almost seemed uh, from everything we read that francis and nick would really be a better match than francis and bobby because they have like complementary neuroses where i think (laughs) bobby and francis would have competing neuroses yeah and i do so it's been a couple a little while since i've read it so as i recall it Bobby and Francis restart the romantic relationship. They're living together, but that wasn't necessarily related to them getting back together. And then Bobby says, wait a minute, you're not my girlfriend. Like, we're not girlfriend, girlfriend. And and then, so Francis is a little bit struck by that, but it's sort of a new parameter for their, their relationship moving forward because of what happened the first time. And then in the very end, she has this reconnection with Nick and we're left as sort of kind of a cliffhanger like they're going to see each other again and they don't really know what's going to happen when they re- if they can or will rekindle what was left but they still have very strong feelings for each other do you remember that where they're no. in the- <laughs> literally all of that is sounding brand new to me I swear I finished this book I was so done with these damn characters <laughs> by the end of this thing I was reading like every third word I was like get me out of here yeah so well, I trust you he was at a supermarket and she he yes. accidentally called her yes. instead of Melissa that was where they left things things off it seems like she's about to embark on another sort of tangled thing with Melissa and Nick and Bobby, and they're all romantically involved with one another, basically, except Bobby and Melissa never get together, even though... And that's another reason why Frances hates Melissa is because Bobby is really into her. Yeah, it's just like there's a lot of complexity with all the relationships yeah. going on, but I think the tone the narration at its core is what makes people either like love or hate this book 100 percent um so i think we can transition into kind of like what worked and what didn't and for me what worked is absolutely the writing like i'm so excited to read if if sally rooney pulled this out at 26 like I cannot wait to see what else she produces because I think this is really brilliantly written. You said earlier it doesn't spend a lot of time on like flowery descriptions or like the language is not over padded. It's it's really so dialogue heavy and really efficient. And it's a really accurate depiction of like hyper intellectual young people. You can really feel Francis and Bobby thinking that they've got it all figured out. And it was exciting too for... I always like reading like smart literary fiction about relationships. I don't think that all writing that like delves deep and is quote unquote quality writing has to be about 
deep-seated trauma or like historical times I think sometimes <laughs> it's nice to read a really deep dive analysis of like friendship or an affair I liked that about this and that is where it ends <laughs> So I also, I mean, we can talk about her writing forever. I was reading a little bit about Sally Rooney, and she was the number one debate champion in Europe when she was in school, which is heavily reflected in her her dialogue, the witty banter and going back and forth at a really fast clip, and her being able to just like cut right to the chase. I'll just quote this from The New Yorker. She writes with a rare, thrilling confidence in a lucid and exacting style, uncluttered with a sort of steroidal imagery and strobe flashes of figurative language that so many dutifully literary novelists employ. I think we've seen this style come up more and more, especially with female contemporary authors. Like Sheila Hetty comes to mind, Catherine Lacey, Deborah Levy, who is someone we haven't talked about much, but her style is also very zinging, I would say, which is like a really (laughs) classy word, I know. But it's just like their, their writing just really hits the nail on the head, which I think is sort of an... I don't know if it's necessarily a new style, maybe, but I think we've for so long associated great literature with with very eloquent sentences with a lot of verbiage and diction. This really sim- simple, effective language is exciting to read. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's like, yeah, there's kind of two camps. Cause there's the Lauren Groff camp, which is like <laughs> fantastical, beautiful portraits of things. And then, um, yeah, like you said, this is just really cutting to the quick. And I think this does a nice job. And there was a Goodreads review that like so in the spirit of like, very succinctly wrapping things up, I have to quote, because it was 100% my thoughts. You are brought along in this journey because the prose is pretty, and you really don't care that the story is small and the characters are irritating. (laughs) So I do think Sally Rooney was probably the best person to tell this story. I just don't know that I needed to hear this exact story, but I take no objection with the way she told it at all. Is there anything else that particularly jumped out as you loving or didn't like? I did really love how Rooney captured Frances's desire, her simultaneous desire to be loved and to be successful and to be like a prominent writer or prominent star of attention, but also wanting to hide away from everyone and not be noticed. She was terrified of success. So I thought she did a really good job capturing that duality. And and I also, I thought this was really interesting. I put this in the things that I really liked, and you put this in the things that you didn't like. So let's talk about the character of Francis' alcoholic father and how that played into the story. And I'll let you go first. I felt it didn't play into the story. I thought it was um, really jarring. There's kind of a tertiary plot where Francis is calling home and her father, you can tell, um, she's calling to check on money most of the time, I think, and to, and check on checks that he's supposed to be sending. And she's seeing that he is submitting kind of to his alcoholism that was existing before and not able to send send the money. I felt like it was really kind of shoehorned into the story is she would be 
out in like the grassy countryside sneaking into Nick's room at this estate to continue their affair and then it, it was very jarring to have a scene of her calling her dad and being like has the check cleared <laughs> um, and it just really made me dislike Francis and I don't think that we saw Francis emotionally rec- reckoning with um, her father's decline like she did not seem very introspective about it she didn't seem to have a lot of compassion for him on a, on a human level and I understand that there's like trauma associated with that when your parent figure is going through something like that but it didn't seem to affect her on an emotional level it seemed to be like a hassle for her that the checks weren't clearing and that was kind of the stern end of it and it was a frustration I think when it comes to money in this novel, we could talk about what didn't work. I thought that was one. So the money and privilege element, that was one thing I struggled with. Yeah, I, I forgot about the connection with her father, but I was remembering more of those scenes where she goes home to visit her parents. Her mother is separated from her father at this point, and she goes to her father's place to see him. And he also leaves her strange messages, I think. And, and so she goes to see him and sees that he's basically living in squalor, He's drunk all the time. He cannot take care of himself. He is like rotting garbage and flies everywhere. So, and her response to it is sort of to either leave or I think she does stay and clean things once for him and take out his trash. But she, we don't really witness much of her emotional response to it. So there's this one quote here where she's speaking about her father. Humoring him made me feel dishonest and weak, a soft target. Ignoring him made my heart beat very hard, and afterwards I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I I did think we, even though she isn't emotional to us about her father, I think it fits in so so well into how she developed as a character, how she came to become this really, this person who wants to avoid all emotion, this person who wants to have an unbreakable shell, because she still doesn't know how to reconcile her role as a daughter and her relationship with her father and because she, she knows that she takes care of him she's enabling him but if she doesn't take care of him she's just leaving him to to rot basically but that might have been me just projecting <laughs> my like knowledge of alcoholism into say, the story i was just going to say i think that because we get so little of her explicitly telling us how she feels about the situation i think this is 100 percent me reading into it a cynical view where to me it was like this bitch is so manipulative if she can't get a check out of her dad she doesn't care she just wants to leave him to rot with his garbage and go fuck her married boyfriend. And you have, like, an optimistic view of people in general. So you read it as, like, oh, well, this trauma explains and excuses some of her behavior, the way she grew up. I, so, But I don't think that subtext for either of us is yeah. there in the novel. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that is really just a projection. And I don't know... I agree. I don't think it necessarily excuses her behavior, but I think it explains her her character a little bit more. But yeah, that's and that's I guess some of the genius in Rooney's writing is that she either is is a genius or she didn't really cross the T's on that one and dot the I's on that one. Like, <laughs> well, I and I know. think that's just part of reading, right? It's like the connecting with characters, and that's probably why you had a better time with this book in general, is because you were able 
to dial in and feel some sympathy for this character. Whereas I was like not giving her the benefit of the doubt and so just so exhausted with spending time with her. And one of the most tedious things um, about her and Bobby both is their relationship with money and privilege. It's kind of... I don't know. The reviews that I was reading kind of uh, made it seem like it was more central to the story than it was, but they're both like pretty much socialists or even borderline communists, I think, um, Mm -hmm. in the book. And it's like that kind of 21-year-old political view where you're like dancing around the edges of things and like, well, everybody should just... You know, we're kind of, it's very idealistic is what I'm trying to say. But Bobby, we know, came from money. Um, Her family's extremely wealthy. She's never had to struggle for anything. And Frances, while her family is like middle class to lower middle class, she is always concerned about getting checks from her dad. And it literally never occurs to her in this entire book to like work or get a job or work towards a career. And that was so frustrating to me is that she was so high-minded about the way that wages should be distributed and all this, but did not earn anything. I swear I'm not like right-wing Bill Waller is what I'm coming off as, but it was just seemed extremely naive to me. I, I agree. It really struck me that they had a lot of really intellectualized discussions about capitalism and money and it and I thought that was you know I think a lot of people read that as like wow these young people are in such an impressive dialogue about and commentary about our state and society and about their generation's interpretation of of these societal issues but I really, it really did strike me more as like a very privileged view. Like neither oh, of yeah. them had had any real experience with poverty. Neither of them had any real experience with, yeah, with working for a living, with financial burden. And yes, Frances does experience financial stress, but you're right. It never really struck me as anything urgent. She was always falling, trying to fall back on her parents as much as she could. And there was really no autonomy there. There is no self-sufficiency. And then on Nick, when her parents couldn't come through, oh, she really was that. kind of um, counting on her him to like provide her with a lifestyle. And to Sally Rooney's credit, I absolutely think that they were consciously written mm-hmm. as privileged and a little bit maybe off the mark naive on these matters because Melissa and Nick both with money are are much more of the attitude of like well yeah like I I have ideals too but I also have to put food on the table and pay rent Um, they have like a much more mature flattened out worldview I think and and that's part of what draws them to Bobby and Francis is that they have this sparkle and this idealism that I think Uh, Melissa and Nick recognize as something that they had when they were younger but because they've had to like live life and just like be in the trenches like living Mm -hmm. they're not able to maintain that yeah and that is one of the first things Frances notices like in the first lines of, of the book that we read is that Melissa has a very nice house. She must be wealthy. And I found this this one part of the New Yorker review that I was like, wow, Sally Rooney is getting mad props because they compare her to James Joyce in this part. But yeah, I know. They, they, they're talking about one of Bobby and Francis' exchange, exchanges about capitalism. 
and they say this exchange, so rigorously serious as to be comic, calls to mind another pair of brilliant Dublin students, Cranley and Stephen uh, Dedalus, probably butchered that pronunciation, who stroll around in a portrait of the artist as a young man, arguing over the Eucharist and apostasy. Cranley and Dedalus came of age in an Ireland riven by religious strife, Bobby and Francis in an Ireland gutted by the 2008 financial collapse. Capitalism is to Rooney's young women what Catholicism wants to Joyce's young men, hmm. a rotten national faith to contend with. Though, how exactly to resist capitalism when it has sunk its teeth so deep into the human condition remains an open question. So, it's true, I think they are supposed to, to be really naive about it, but that naivety—I couldn't. I was supposed to admire that. That because that yeah, quote seems like it's exactly. like we should be patting him on the back for that like spark within them. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm still on the fence as to what Sally Rooney was trying to communicate to us about it, or how intentional this privilege was. I think that is like what's cool about this book actually is I think it's really like kind of a litmus test. There's so much open to interpretation. It's so not plot heavy. It's just really character meditations. So the way that you connect to these characters, I think probably in the end says more about where you're coming from as a reader rather than the characters as they are on, a, on the page. Um, and that's why I'm so excited to read more of Sally Rooney's work. Yeah. Um, I think if she tackled different issues, different characters, she could really pull something out that's like hugely thought-provoking well, and amazing. Her new novel, Normal People, has been championed abroad from what I've seen, and I imagine it's gotten rave reviews here too. I'm really looking forward to reading that and seeing how it compares to her first novel, um, which she wrote in three months, by the way. She wrote Conversations with Friends. Like, I'm just... Bitch. I know. I actually... <laughs> so I, talented. I, I admire her so much, but I also really hate her because she's <laughs> such a successful young person. Yeah. Yeah. So... Final thoughts for me to wrap up would just be absolutely, I think, worth reading. I think there's good writing here, and there's nothing that's, like, embarrassingly bad or anything. It's just I, f I found the characters a little irritating um, and grating after a while, but absolutely liked enough to read more of this author's work. Really excited for normal people. What about you? Yeah, I enjoyed this book a lot. I think it is, it does come across to me in some ways as like a first, uh, you know, a first novel. Like she re she repeats a few turns of phrases and there are some deeply rooted, I think, idealism within it. Um, but I think she did a great job. One of her editors said she's the snap, the Salinger of the Snapchat generation. Ew! I know, I was like... She's oh. better than that moniker. That's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, one of her editors said that, and I was like, really? She doesn't seem that way at all. No. So, <laughs> so please stop. But, you know, those cool editors, uh, they know what the kids like. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I definitely recommend this novel, and I think it's, it's worth reading. Despite whatever perceptions you might have of the subject matter, her writing really stands up strong. And one other thing, I just wanted to say in, in response to one of your questions, Laura, of how this compares to the American contemporary literature we've been reading. Yeah, we really brushed over it, but this is an Irish author and the novel's set in Dublin. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think that this novel 
would not necessarily have achieved the same success if it had started in the States because I think that these characters, their sort of idealism and, and intellectualism, I think that's something that American readers disdain. Um, not necessarily, that's a generalization, but I think if it had started here with that concept of like two college, two university students and their like witty banter and dialogue, I don't know if that would have achieved the same sort of momentum that it did here. Mm. Um, because in my view, like I think a lot of times in the UK that intellectualism and academia is still really really revered and like a really big part of their cultural identity but in and the UK and Ireland I should say but I think in the states like a lot of there's a lot of judgment connotated with that and a lot of like better than you're better than me and projected onto that so I mean that's a really out and some there. of that's still regional. Like yeah. I feel like New York City has more of the sure. like emphasis on intellectualism, but for sure this could not have been a novel set in Los Angeles, Chicago. Because can you imagine how these characters would have come across as American characters? I mean they Well, I did not think they came across very favorably <laughs> as Irish characters. But perhaps that is my American bias and disdain <laughs> towards snobby intellectuals. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm really digging a hole here for myself, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just thought I, I no, did, it's interesting. I did and I think she did a nice job capturing like the, the feel of Dublin and and like small town Ireland for the brief the very brief imagery that we do get um, yeah it did not strike me as somewhere as an and I've not been to Ireland mm-hmm. at all but it did not strike me as a novel where the place or the setting mm-hmm. was particularly critical to yeah. the story it's so much yeah. about these characters yeah for sure we'll move on to if you liked this you may like these novels do you want to start yeah absolutely my pick this week is another buzzy novel that came out at the end of 2018 called my sister the serial killer like conversations with friends the characters are all totally despicable obviously from the title you can tell that they go a little farther than being snobby like in this book but still like not warm and fuzzy people that you're going to relate to and the writing also has that very direct um urgent feel to it it's extremely short i think it's under 200 pages so it's a really quick read um and it clips along in the same way that um Rooney's writing did to me and also failed to capture me on an emotional level (laughs) so I feel like that made it similar to this one what's your uh, pick this week I might have I've probably recommended this one before but um how should a person be by Sheila Hetty this really resonated like the, the her both her writing style and a lot of her book is conversations with her best friend and it's a lot about female friendship and how their relationship develops and there is another sort of male romantic character involved who the the narrator has to she explores that relationship in a sort of completely new way than like the traditional romance mm-hmm. narratives we've seen. And there's also a show on Netflix um, set in Dublin called Can't Cope, Won't Ooh. Cope. And yeah, I've, I saw there's a second season out now, which I'm so excited to watch, but it's about two female friends in Dublin. Oh, 
and yeah, it's really good. Um, I think they did a really amazing job both kind of capturing the setting and, and scene and also capturing their relationship and how it changes. It starts out as this kind of fun, like party girls. They're just like on these crazy adventures together in Dublin. And then it sort of morphs into their relationship when it turns out one of them has a very serious we're not sure if it's like a personality disorder or alcoholism or I, I interpreted it as alcoholism, but I apparently interpret like everything <laughs> related to alcoholism. Uh, I thought they did a really, really nice job um, with exploring that relationship as like young professionals and um, young women in this uh, day and age. Love that. I'll have to give it a try. Thanks. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.